Hello, everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Ray Zimmer. And welcome to Albumatics, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. This episode, we have once again returning to the co-pilot's chair, Rockin' Mike Cordes. Rockin' Mike, welcome back. This never gets old. No, it never does. (laughs) (laughs) So on this episode, we're going to talk about Kiss, 1976 album, Rock and Roll Over. Rockin' Mike, where do you come in with Kiss in this particular album? I come with, with Kiss on Crazy Nights. That was the first Whoa. album. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, that was, was the Shutter. Yeah, yeah. Was like, <laughs> um, that was the first time I saw Kiss. Was the Crazy Nights tour with Ted Nugent? I was thirteen and uh, got my ass kicked on the floor at Springfield Civic Center <laughs> trying to pick up Gene Simmons' pick. But that was the first album that got me into them. There were some older guys that I went to school with that were rather douchey, and they they really loved Kiss. And they looked at me not so oddly when they found out that I liked Kiss as well. Um, And then as I got older, I just delved back and got the back catalog. And Rock and Roll Over, all-time best Kiss album cover, and arguably one of the best album covers, I think, of all time. All right. Yeah, douchey guys like Kiss. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely douchey. (laughs) Pass the douchey. (laughs) Ray, we covered Kiss Destroyer album, so just give a quick rundown of your Kiss history and then how you came to this album. Neighbor in Connecticut, where I grew up, had had their albums, and then I watched the movie on TV, of course. I started with kind of Destroyer, like, late in my 30s. Then I got into Creatures of the Night. um, And then this album was new for me completely. All right. I've done KISS four prior studio albums on earlier podcasts, and as I've said, I got into KISS very young with the Destroyer album, and I quickly became obsessed with them. So for this album, the time's late 76, and I find out that KISS has a new album out because I saw it in the stores. I didn't get Rock and Roll Over right away, but my Uncle Jim, the guy who got me into KISS, did get it, and it had that cartoonish album cover that you were talking about, and I loved it too. And the record came with a sticker of the album cover, which Uncle Jim put on the headboard of his bed, which I thought was just cool as fuck, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I wanted it. At this point, Kiss was really starting to tap into the merchandising angle that blew up for them in the 70s, and they hooked me completely with this type of shit. I got Destroyer for Christmas in 76, and then I got Dressed to Kill in early 77, but by April 77, I got two Kiss albums for my birthday, Hotter Than Hell and Rock and Roll Over, and I just immersed myself in them. So here are some basic facts about this record, pulled straight from its Wikipedia entry. Rock and Roll Over is the fifth studio album by American rock band Kiss, released on November 11th, 1976 on Casablanca Records. It was produced by Eddie Kramer and was recorded from September to October 1976 at Star Theater, Nanuet, New York. It reached number 11 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified platinum by the RIAA. Now I'll give you the band's lineup card. We've got Paul Stanley on vocals, rhythm guitar, and acoustic guitar. Gene Simmons on vocals and bass guitar. Ace Fraley on lead guitar and backing vocals. And Peter Chris on the drums, percussion, and vocals. All right, let's do a track-by-track analysis of this album. Kicking things off is I Want You, written by Paul Stanley. I want you. 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 I want you.
Rockin' Mike, what do you think? I like it. It's uh, got that acoustic intro with those kind of breathy vocals before it really hits you between the eyes. There's a uh, The whole song is centered on Paul's performance, just that vocal delivery. There's really not a lot to the song. It's just supporting that, you know. And But, I mean, it's Paul Stanley in 1976. You really don't care. Yeah. Um, they're, they're trading off on those solos. Paul's the first solo, and then you have Ace's second. It's got a solid baseline that really rides in the pocket that I like. And I like the squeals that punctuate the, I want you, and at the, the little, yeah, I yeah, love yeah. that. Yeah, um, that's cool. And uh, um, the background vocals are a bit awkward sounding, but that's what kind of endears me to the song. I like it. It's not super polished. You know if that album came out today, it would be pro-tooled to death, and they yeah. would clean it all up. But it's cool. It's rock and roll warts and all. Um, and then at the 157 mark, you get the return to the acoustic with Paul's vocals. And it's not my favorite off the album, but it is a great start. All right. Ray. Um, so Paul actually has the first solo on that, and then yeah. Ace kicks. I was wondering about that because I was like, what the hell was, I was thinking to myself, what the hell was going on with Ace here? And, it's <laughs> yeah. like, and there's a rumor that like, he doesn't even remember recording this. He was so fucked up this entire album. <laughs> I don't doubt <laughs> it. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised he doesn't remember that. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, man, they must have like, just not had the coffee in him at this point. Cause I thought it was all Ace. I just assumed, oh. and I was like, what, what happened? But no, when it actually, he does like, the solo does kind of kick and I'm like, okay, that's where the coffee came. That's where, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah but no, nice. it's just a matter of, you know, just different styles and you know, okay, that's cool. I think it's really kind of cool how in the beginning, I don't know if it was kind of like a nose thumbing to like maybe um, Bob Ezrin, but also it's like a pretty kind of ballad and then just kind of kicks you right in the fucking nuts with that fucking power. Yeah. Um, especially like when the 15 second mark, like the mix of the bass and the guitar is as thick as a fly girl on Living Color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul is one of my favorite vocalists from the 1970s and this is and this is a showcase of his talent. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely, you know, where he sh- at his peak, I would have to say. Overall, I guess the drum sounds great. I guess Peter recorded him in a bathroom, and it was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then it was like timed like a video monitor or something like that, so he could see what they were doing. Yeah. yeah, but the fucking drum sound on this whole album, I think, is mint as fuck. And I got to give Eddie Kramer credit for that, yeah. without a doubt. And that's really all I got. Really, I guess it's a, if you're gonna open up an album, this is a fucking burner of a song to open up your album with, without yeah. a doubt. Well, I'm pretty much gonna repeat what you guys said. It opens with the acoustic guitar, Paul singing softly. Then it turns into a hard rocker that features Peter's somewhat syncopated drumming. I dig the squealies in the verses, and Paul sings tough and directly. He's not playing around. The pre-chorus pounds, and Peter's tom roll fill goes into the chorus, where Paul belts out, I want you, with some babies thrown in. I like that, too. Paul plays the first part of the solo. He fairly gets the second higher half, and they trade off well, fading to a repeat of the acoustic intro. Lyrically, Paul wants you, and there ain't a fucking thing you can do about it. You could run, hide, lie, deny, walk in a daze, travel till you die, or even live in a dream, but Paul's gonna have you, girl. But don't worry, because he'll treat you right. You know he would. I dig the higher squealies as the track fades on that last chorus, and this is a bombastic opening track that kicks serious ass. I love it. The next track is Take Me, written by Paul Stanley and Sean Delaney. Mike, what do you say? I love that meaty riff that kicks off the song. Um, it's another Paul vocal performance. 
Uh, the lyrics are misogynistic, cocksure, and awesome. Put your hand into my pocket, grab onto my rocket. <laughs> I was looking for that. I walked around all week saying that to my wife. <laughs> but I'm not Paul, so all I got was eye rolls and responses like, uh, no. Um, <laughs> I also love the, you make me feel, ah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, yeah. oh, man. And then, uh, which mimics the riff, which makes it even catchier. I absolutely love this song, uh, the echoey phase on Take Me, 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 yep. Me. The solo guitar harmony, I don't know if they're playing it together or if they just double-tracked it, but it's just great rock and roll. Another line, sitting in the back, her head down in my lap, the moonlight <laughs> shining down on her head. <laughs> like, just... The, uh, what does that mean? Yeah, I know, right? uh, she had a headache. Yeah, she had a headache. Yeah, that's right. Migraines. She yeah, had to stay out of the moonlight because of light. her hair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Watching her driving. But everybody talks about kind of the Kiss money machine and Kiss selling out. But honestly, they could do whatever they want. I mean, they knew kids were buying their albums. If they were truly selling out, and I'm not denying the money-making phase that they go through and all the merch because I'm just as guilty as loving it. But they wouldn't write lyrics like this if that's truly what their goal was. Yeah. So I give them credit for, you know, for, for sticking to what they know. So I, I love the song. Right. Once again, I'm going to sound like a broken record about this record, but I think Kramer's fucking mix job on this album is impeccable. Mm -hmm. The balance-wise, I think it's just perfect. Yeah. And what did he, he worked on what, Kiss Alive or something like that? Yeah, he produced Live. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Then had, were there any other albums? Did he even touch Destroyer at all? Or was he, No, he had nothing to do with Destroyer, Destroyer at all. Okay. No, he, he did this one, and then he does Love Gun. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I, I I almost kind of think I prefer him to Ezrin. It's just for like you know just like sheer power of like you know having a rock album. Yeah, I do like Ezrin for other things like his different elements that he added on Destroy and stuff like that, and some of the stuff he did with Pink Floyd. But I think given my druther, this I'd rather listen to an Eddie Kramer produced album. The lyrics are laughable, fun, <laughs> kind of fucking stupid. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's Kiss. But it's, it's Kiss, Kiss. exactly. Yeah. And I kind of like that echo effect, Mike. I think you mentioned on the High Fall setup part. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Me. Yeah. It's the coolest shit. Yeah. You know, and as corny as the lyrics are, but it still there's an element to it that like it sounds like it's being delivered by like, a cool kind of a rock guy. Yeah. yeah, you know that there's yeah. a, you know it's kind of there's a little bit of suave thing going yeah. on there. Swagger, swagger, exactly. Yeah. And when there's, there's some songs where it's Gene delivering it, where it just sounds like you know pervy old man. <laughs> yeah. you know? But I like that. Yeah, there's too. a different way that Paul and Gene deliver these kind of lyrics. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. We got a guitar harmony solo, which you know, short and sweet and to the point. And what I think I like about Ace is, is Ace, you know, there's times when he, I think, let's not beat around the bush, he uses stock licks, but he has moments of fucking brilliance, too. You know, yeah. I mean, there are flashes here and there. You're not going to get them everywhere. Like, I think uh, his solo, the intro for the solo to um, Black Diamond is, like, friggin' awesome as all hell. Then there's other times where he just kind of phones it in. Yes. You know? <laughs> I'm sure they're getting any better as the, the uh, substances started to take effect for him. But uh, the little outro solo he has is passable. It's cool. You mm -hmm. know, that's the song. All right. Put your hand in my pocket. Grab onto my rocket. Feels so good to see you receive. It's Paul's own getting a blowjob, folks. Kiss are always known for their subtle and thoughtful lyrics. The main hook is the ah, 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 like you said, Mike, I love that, in both the guitars and vocals, and I've always dug that. Another straightforward rocker, it was co-written by Paul and Sean Delaney, a partner of then-Kiss manager Bill Alcoin, who was a musician and songwriter, and he was instrumental in the development of the band. Delaney was involved in everything with Kiss, from the songwriting to the stage choreography, and he was a key figure in the early days of the band. 
I also like that echo take me in the chorus, the slide that cuts the chorus in half. Mm. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I love yeah. that. And the riff that bridges the chorus to the verses. You know, da 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 yeah. <laughs> Ace's solo isn't spectacular, like you said, Ray, but it gets the job done. He also plays some nice, faster lead lines as the track fades. This track has a lot of energy, and the production by Eddie Kramer is to the point and is more reminiscent of Kiss's first three albums than the more lush production Bob Ezrin did on Destroyer. I dig it, man. The following track is Calling Dr. Love. Written by Gene Simmons. You need my love, baby, oh so bad. You're not the only one I've ever had. And if I say I want to set you free, don't you know you'll be in misery? Rockin' Mike, your thoughts? It's a fucking classic. It's got that slow riff with the cowbell before Dr. Love comes in with some nice cymbal work from Peter. Uh, I really like some of Gene's vocalisms, too. Like, set you free! Like, how he <laughs> yeah. brings it out. Again, with the awkward background vocals, but I don't care. That's what really endears me to this record a lot. Now, from the second chorus on, there's a really deep underlying vocal line, like, calling Dr. Yeah. Love. Where it's almost spoken, yeah. which I've always loved, but I can't, all I think of Herman, paging Mr. Herman. <laughs> that's like that's all where it I came from. That's, yes. Oh, really? Yes. That's, that's all I thought about when I heard it. I'm like, it's, it's that line. That's exactly where it came from. Um, and, uh, I, and I really love the solo on it. Um, it has a slower pace that reflects the tempo of the song, but I, I love this too. All right. Ray. Well, it kind of starts out with a nice, simple, almost like an ACDC style riff. And then they really did explore the space with the cowbell mic. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> they're going for, they're pulling shapes. They're going for, you know, tonal flavors. You know, really knocking it out of the park. I mean, God, God bless Peter Chris on this one. Um, you know, it's another kind of boneheaded song, but still pretty good. Um, supposedly, Gene was inspired by a Three Stooges movie where they had Dr. Howard, Dr. Right, Fine. Right, that's, that's where they, yeah. Oh, yeah, no yep, kidding. Yep, yep. And I got to admit, man, I love the falsetto. Yeah, in the background. I think it's cool shit. I thought the exact same thing about the Pee Wee Herman thing. Really? Yeah, I didn't even hear it until I heard that through the headphones. It's like, did, did Mr. Ed not get credit? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Love. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Love. It's, it's fucking funny as shit. And this is one where I thought, man, fucking Ace must have sobered up a bit because he's got a really tasty fucking song. Yeah, he nails it on this yeah. one. Yeah, yep, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's just like... It's frustrating about Ace, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, he's capable of this. Right, yeah. right. Do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I know. But yeah. no, this song is like Mike said, it's a classic. It's yeah. awesome. Not to be outdone by Paul's first two songs, Gene's first effort on the record is a sleazy, sneering sex song in which he's Dr. Love, who has the cure for any lady who suffers from rock and roll pneumonia or just needs to get laid. <laughs> Peter plays Cowbell in the intro, and I dig his transitional fill that links the verses to the choruses. I love the female backing vocals and the low Dr. Love, like we've been saying in the chorus. Ace's solo is one of his very best. It captures the scuzzy feel of the track and showcases his excellent vibrato. It does sound inspired and not merely tossed off. Gene's voice at this point was slipping occasionally to more of a growly, menacing tone as he was really delving into his demon persona. The chords and structure of the song came from a previous demo called Bad Bad Lovin'. 
I've always loved this tune, though strangely it's the only song from the album that really got extended live play over the years and is the only one the band still plays to this day. This was the second single from the album that reached number 16 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. And I do remember hearing this on the radio back then. Mm. You would hear it on occasion. The next track is Ladies Room, written by Gene Simmons. You're such a jewel in the road. You want to show me your stuff. For my money, you can't be too soon. Mike, what do you say? Well, it starts with that simple riff. It reminds me of another uh, another Kiss riff that I can't, I, for the life of me, I couldn't place it. But I know I've heard that elements of that before. And it's got that little bass walk down before Gene comes in in the verses. And it's the song's got good melody. And even with a, there's a little bass flourish, you can kind of hear that. Which Gene, he takes so much flack for his personality that I, he really is just a solid in-the-pocket bass player. Yes. I don't think he gets credit yeah. for that. No, he doesn't. Uh, not at all. And, then and like he never Anthony, will. No, yeah. he never no. will. Ne- yeah. ne- never at all. But the, you can really hear it throughout this album. The, even the pre-chorus is catchy. Shuts a jewel in the rough. You want to show me your stuff. <laughs> this is like, it's another cool Gene vocalism. Um, before a cool drum break with some more cowbell. Always a catchy chorus. Uh, I really like it. Any of the Gene songs I've noticed after the solo... It's always missing a verse after that, and it's kind of like out of the solo it comes in, and they just beat you with the chorus until the song ends. Yeah, but it's still I, I like the. Let's song. Let's get out of here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I think I know what you're talking about with the riff. White sounds familiar. It's an inverted triad thing that they did on like rock and roll night and party every day. It was like you can bar like your D, G, and B strings. And then, like, you can hammer on with, like, your ring and your pinky finger. It's almost like the um, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting kind of thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Running with the Devil. They do a lot. Of, and I've heard this on more than one Kiss song. So that's probably oh. why it sounds... I'm thinking that's why it sounds familiar. Yeah. Could be awesome. Sounds just like Van Halen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like their trademark, though. You can hear it on other stuff that they've done. Song, once again, it's kind of jackass. I think that there's a sequencing thing that, and, and with this thing where, like, I get, you know, you're going to, this is the package deal when you get a Kiss album, but maybe they could have, like, put it, like, after something like this, because now, like, now it's almost getting a little bit redundant at this point, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's yeah. kind of like, yeah. uh, maybe they could have done something. And Mike, you said it, man, fucking Gene's bass playing. He's got some really n- decent fills on this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he does. He'll yeah. never get credit for it because I think the theatrics kind of overshadow a lot of the, the stuff that he was doing. Actually, I'll be honest with you. When I first heard this, because I've listened to this probably about like a dozen times now, I wasn't digging this song, but it fucking grew on me along the darkness kind of way. <laughs> it's really growing on me. Um, yeah, meet, meet Me in the Lady Room. It's just like, okay, yeah, Paul sounding kind of fucking suave, and he just sounds like some guy who's just like, uh, has to register the towns that he goes to. Meet Me in the Lady Room. I got these flashbacks like Chuck Berry having He's a camera. He's registered in every state. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's not it, it's not so much that, you know like suave it's more like <laughs> yeah yeah can you help me find my puppy? You know? <laughs> He's on these aqua lungs. Go for it man take it away. <laughs> There are a few tracks on this album that are well-liked by the diehard Kiss Army, kind of like uh, hidden gems, to use a 
hotter than hell podcast term, but they weren't big hits, and this is one of them. It's another Gene song, mid-tempo. The riff is pretty basic, but the bass supplies a good groove, and it's got a catchy sing-along chorus. I also dig the pre-chorus. You're such a jewel in the rough. <laughs> <laughs> and that cowbell again leading to the chorus. Peter Chris and his cowbell, man. He, he loves it. <laughs> the lyrics are Gene saying to the girl, let's have a meet and greet in the ladies' room. You know, typical sex in the bathroom kind of stuff. This is just one of those deep album tracks that I've always dug. I always welcome it when it comes on. It's never going to be a giant hit, but hey, fuck it, I like it. The following track is Baby Driver, written by Peter Chris and Stan Penridge. And if you want to hear some stories Let's have it. I fucking love this song. Oh my <laughs> god, too. this is awesome. This is just the snarl to Peter's vocals, you know, go baby, drive up. It's just it's 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 fantastic. I know I I wish we heard more of Peter on this record. And I wish I had heard I was familiar with more of his stuff because I didn't realize he was capable of that snarl. No, you're not. Like, no, you don't wish no more. No. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the shining star. Yeah, the Peter Chris <laughs> The song, the song kicks tons of ass. It's a leftover from a previous band, yep. and uh, it's just a simple song with a great backbeat, tons of attitude, and that chorus just makes it. What a hell of a way to end side one. Nice. Ray. <laughs> I fucking love the shit out of this one, too. Yeah, it's, it's probably like... one of my favorites on this album. I guess it was like you had mentioned, Peter Chris and Stan Penridge wrote it. Uh, supposedly about the Lips bassist, Michael Benvengus. Um, he had an Alfa Romero, and supposedly he had some sort of beef against Stan and Peter. Or something like that. So it's this those two bagging on him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and his fucking vocals, I like a lot. I like how Paul kind of comes in that push that pedal to the floor part because yeah. it yeah. kind of adds like a little bit more to the vocals. I kind of like boost it up a little bit. And there's actually a pretty good guitar interplay on the track too mm-hmm. between, between both uh, Paul and Ace. And you got those cool ass guitar bends like right after the Go Baby Driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that too. So yeah, this song's fucking this shit. <laughs> This is an old song dating back to Peter's days in the pre-kiss band Lips. You guys have already discussed that. It's titled Well. It's got a driving beat and groove, and Gene's pulsing bass is a highlight on this one for me, too. do 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 Just keeps moving it along. Peter sings lead with his scratchy, gravelly voice, and he gives it his all, man. He screams his head off in places and brings a sense of urgency to the vocals. I love the ad-libs he shouts as the track fades. Gun it, woman, gun it! I can't even understand it. I can't even half understand when he's really screaming, but it's great. I like the harmonized guitar lick that pushes the track along. It does give a feel of motion, and Ace adds some cool fills after each line in the verses. The lyrics are about a girl who likes to take charge. She pushes that pedal to the floor and can go 100 miles an hour. By this time, the band was probably very familiar with this type. Another deep cut from the record I dig, though. Peter said he wasn't happy with what Kiss did with the song compared to the original demo. His vision was compromised. Everybody says that, though. All bands should just release their frickin' demos. They're always better, right? So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Love 'em and Leave 'em, written by Gene Simmons. Take the 
Mike, what do you say? So this is the first track that kind of puts a little crack in the armor for me for this record. Um, it's just Gene being Gene lyrically. <laughs> <laughs> no, no shock there. I thought that the opening riff was a bit weak, but then there's a, a, there's actually a groove that comes in that I like, and I like that riff much better. Um, I like the delivery of the verses, and I even don't mind the Fat Albert, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> drums during the chorus is just like a really simple like, dish, dish, dish. <laughs> you know, it's very. I, I even like the solo with the phasey effect, um, and the fact that we've heard this all before. The song is really done at the solo, but again, they just beat you over the head with that love them and leave them at the end. So this song for me is kind of meh. All right, Ray. Well, the verse riff is kind of like a variation on the old blues, and a down, 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 down. And I actually I dig the shit out of that riff. Uh, what it really is, this song is about looking at a woman from a mature point of view and encouraging her to reclaim the goddess yes. and um, to be respected yes. for her mind and what she does. Yeah, I think I, I, I think, I think well, we, yeah. all, we all kind of agree on that one thing. Spot on interpretation. Yeah, I, think it was, oh, I think it was uh, sequenced that way to cleanse the palate from the previous misogynistic lyrics that were further established <laughs> on the previous side. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 This this song, this course would be perfect for a drinking game, like the Roxanne drinking game. Like one half of the room, if you got like about a dozen people, has to drink every time he says love them. And the other half has to drink every time he says leave them. He'd be fucking having alcohol poisoning by the end of this fucking album. That's right. Less filling. Tastes great. Less filling. Tastes great. Love them. Um... But yeah, back to the Fat Albert vocals, it's funny. Um, check with me, see what it's all right! <laughs> <laughs> it's, it almost, I think it supplants my favorite from Destroyer. Anyhow, anyhow! <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, at this point, I gotta admit, Mike, haven't we heard this song like three fucking times already? Yeah, by the yeah, yeah, get to this yeah, point? yeah. Um, Ace has some cool, like, flange slash phase, whatever the fuck the effect is on it on the solo. This song's kind of a snoozer at this point in the album for me, though, I gotta mm -hmm. be honest. Well, I disagree with both of you, but we'll get to that. If ever there was a song that summed up Gene Simmons' life philosophy, this is it. His singing is hilariously over the top with his salacious demon growl as he tells the tale of hooking up with a female fan with a stiff proposition. Though he makes it very clear that this is a one-time thing and he's off to the next town and the next conquest. The music is positively bouncing the verses, bounce, bounce, bounce with the beat. And the chorus is strictly repeating the song title, exciting. Peter has some quirky fills in the pre-chorus, and Ace brings it with a solo, capturing the sleazy vibe, including using the kill switch on his guitar as it transitions back to the chorus. That's a standard part of the Ace Fraley bag of tricks. This song is goofy as fuck, but I love it. I can't help it. The band did a promo video for this song, which is basically a lip-sync performance clip, and Gene Axe is over the top as he sings. It just cracks me up. They also did videos for I Want You and Hard Luck Woman off of this album. 
The next track is Mr. Speed, written by Paul Stanley and Sean Delaney. Yeah. Well, you know. Rockin' Mike, what do you think? Uh, it's a great recovery from Love Him and Leave Him for me. My only question, is this song about premature ejaculation? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad, that's why the ladies call me Mr. Speed. I'm so fast. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah that's even worse. Yeah, that's even worse. Um, but I love the riff. The riff is freaking cool. This, there, there is yeah. not a bad moment in this entire song. I love it. The riff is cool. It's, is there like a bend in that or something? It's a weird like... That's like a slide. It's a glissando. It's like, okay, all right. I, I freaking love that. And then yeah. that, like... I know nothing about guitar, so I'm I'm visualizing hand motions to Ray right now. <laughs> like, it's like the little walk where, like, you like right afterwards. It's like a blues kind of yeah. riff. Yep. Um, great chorus with background vocals. I love everything about this song, and it's probably in my top ten all time Kiss songs. Nice, Ray. When I saw this, and I was looking at that song, I was like, finally, a song about the night I lost my virginity. Uh, <laughs> I think it's for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I love that intro, that, the riff that... And it's got that little like power chord bend that they do a lot, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, me too. And the wrist during the verse section is really good, too. It almost a little bit nicks T-Rex's bang a gong that... But that's okay. If you're going to rip off Mark Bowen, that's a good source to go through. Ace's solo, uh, at this point, it's a little phoned in, i got to be honest with you. I mean, it's good. He's just, you know, throwing some stock licks at you, and he probably went back to have a Jack and Coke and a snort in him. Yeah, it's not inspired. No, not in the least bit. So we have Dr. Love and Mr. Speed on the same album. Maybe they're brothers. I don't know. This is Paul Stanley's attempt at a boogie rocker, and the main riff is actually pretty good. It doubles as the chorus riff, and it works. The guitars have a greasy tone to them that make it stand out. Paul's got the kind of loving the lady needs, but she's not doing enough to keep our man interested. She's not enough to keep the master satisfied. The chorus is a total sing-along earworm, but it's also unintentionally funny, as it's hard to hear this and not think Paul has premature ejaculation <laughs> issues. He's so fast. And that's why the ladies call him Mr. Speed. Are they laughing at you, Paul? This is one of the most celebrated deep tracks among the Kiss Army diehards, and I fall into that category. I dig the shit out of it. It's one of my favorites, too. It's it really great is. Song. It's awesome. The following track is See You in Your Dreams, written by Gene Simmons. The party's over, and baby's in the corner. She's all alone for the night. You pick up the phone, you wanna go home. Well, try your eyes, it's alright. It's alright. See you, feel you in your dreams tonight. See you, feel you in your dreams tonight. Dreams tonight, when you're in your Mike, what do you say? Another Gene song. The bass is a little bit more upfront in the mix, which I really like. You can really hear Gene's bass lines. 
Uh, at the end of the lines in the verse, they get punctuated by some cool symbol work that coincides every time he draws a word out. He, like he'll draw that word out and then it's which I like how that works together. Really kind of a paint by number, solo by ace, nothing spectacular there. And it's the same song structure as Love Him and Leave Him. You've got the verse, the solo, and then they just bang you over the head with the chorus. Uh, it's not bad, but to me, this song is filler. Yep. Ray? One thing you can say about Gene Simmons is he's a humble man with yes. a self-deprecating sense of humor. And dare yes. I say, Morrissey-like self-loathing? Excellent. Yeah. Excellent analysis. <laughs> Actually, I think I, I'm gonna have to beg to differ. I think Ace's solo is the best part of this whole fucking lop of oh. shit song. Man. <laughs> it's like a, you get a little bit of molasses and then and then he just throws in some bluesy licks like in between. I mean, the bluesy licks are kind of like, but the little like, <laughs> which is a technical term. <laughs> but uh, I like that little that little like kind of Mark Knopfler esque part to it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So that's if I just could have had that, I'd probably been pretty happy. Once again, uh flash of decent stuff before it turns into Drek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With Ace. I always thought Ace Fraley was a little bit like Mark Knopfler. I thought they were <laughs> oh, very, yeah, very no, similar. Totally. Yeah. Very similar. Without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Musically, this is the one tune on the record that's totally bland in my ears. With strum chords and very little in the way of melody, the only thing that saves it for me is the up and down bass line Gene plays that he uses quite often. Variations of it are in tracks like Room Service, Strut, or even Rock and Roll All Night. Even Ace's solo feels a little bit uninspired and tossed off. A girl's alone at a party, all bummed out because she's not with her gene. So she goes home to be with him in her mind, and he'll see her and feel her in her dreams. Gene must have thought this version didn't cut it because he re-recorded this track on his 1978 solo album, but we'll talk about that on another podcast. I'm with Gene. This doesn't cut it. And it's Aaron Stinky Stinker! The penultimate track is Hard Luck Woman, written by Paul Stanley. Rockin' Mike, what do you say? I've always liked this song. I actually like this better than Beth. Uh, I've always liked the bass line. Originally written with Rod Stewart in mind to sing it, which is kind of ironic because I was playing it in the house, and my wife goes, this is Kiss? I'm like, yeah, this is Kiss. She goes, what the fuck? It sounds like Rod Stewart. Wow. And she didn't know the background, so I started laughing. I said, well, you've officially made it to the podcast. I gotta tell the story. <laughs> um, and back on the Warrant episode, we talked about sincerity, like Janie Lane's sincerity in heaven and how he fucking ruined it with that wink at the end of the video. Peter Chris has a sincerity to the vocals, and he, he sells it well, and I really, it, I really like it. And um, this is the song that Garth Brooks covered for the tribute, and I, weird little story. There's a guy from central Massachusetts named Jim Rivera who tried to make it in country music, and his father sank a boatload of money into him recording an album. My ex-father-in-law and ex-brother-in-law played in his band. Well, when he went down to Tennessee, he grew up a huge Kiss fan, and he recorded Hard Luck Woman Country before Garth Brooks. And he actually, when he recorded it, he recorded it with some of Garth Brooks' session musicians, 
And Garth Brooks wanted to do Detroit Rock City for that tribute album. Kiss told him no. And his band goes, hey, we know Hard Luck Woman. And so it's kind of like another weird little local connection. And Garth Brooks did Hard Luck Woman. Uh, But I've always liked the track, and it's... I have nothing bad to say about it. All right. Ray? As part of that YouTube thing I was watching, they, they goes out saying, you already mentioned that you know he was listening to a lot of Rod Stewart, and particularly he was listening to Maggie May and You Wear It Well. The one that I didn't see coming for an inspiration to this was Brandy, You're a Fine Girl by fucking Looking Glass. <laughs> really? And yeah, he's like, that That kind of like the holy notion, you know, yeah. the, the sailor's daughter, that's yep. the guy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But this song, I gotta agree with you, it's way better than fucking Beth. And yeah, so Peter Chris may be the poor man's Rod Stewart, but actually, you know, he, he does a decent job. Yeah, and, yeah and he this, does. Yeah, I like the shit yeah. out of this song. Yeah, I'll, I'll listen to this over fucking Beth any day. All right. So, like we've been saying, the story goes that Paul wrote this for Rod Stewart, but Peter told him, and I quote, Hey, fucko, how about me? Fuck Rod Stewart, I'll sing the shit out of it. Eddie Kramer heard it and agreed that Peter should sing it as a sort of follow-up to Beth, apparently much to Paul's chagrin. Now, Peter is no Rod Stewart, but he's got that raspy kind of tone, and he does a good job with this, in my opinion. We've all been saying this. It has a folk rock flavor musically. It's acoustic guitar-based and is more or less the ballad of the record. It's supposed to be Paul's version of Maggie May with lyrics inspired by the Looking Glass song Brandy, like you were saying. The sailor say Brandy, you're a fine girl, what a good wife you would be. You know. In this one, Peter sings about rags, a sailor's only daughter, and it breaks Peter's heart, but he has to be on his way and leave her behind. The chorus has a good melody, and it's memorable. I like how Peter ad-libs the bye-bye so long and all the other sayings as it fades out, and I like this song. This was the first single from the album that reached number 15 on the Billboard Hot 100, and like you said, Rockin' Mike, it was a minor country hit for Garth Brooks, a Kiss fan who recorded it with Kiss as his backing vocalists. And that brings us to the final track, Making Love, written by Paul Stanley and Sean Delaney. Rockin' Mike, about this last one. Uh, I like this one, too. That riff, the riff, though, is, like, very Scorpion-esque to me. Mm. I could really picture that off a Scorpion's album. It's a good rocker, another repetitive chorus, but I like the solo, and they clearly learn from Gene's missteps because they don't return to the chorus just to bang you over the head with it relentlessly. Again, my wife comes into play because I was listening to this, and she's like, this music is awful. It sounds like a bunch of teenagers in a garage. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yep. And it's awesome. (laughs) She's like, really? This is the album you guys are doing? Yep. She's like, yeah, whatever. But I I really like it. I thought it was a good way to end the album. All right. Ray? Uh, Yeah, I agree with Mike wholeheartedly. Yes, for going out. We've had a lot of albums with really weird choices for endings, but this is a nice, I think it's a nice bookend to uh, the intro song, without a doubt. Um, The riff almost starts off like China Grove to me. And I think, actually, as it develops for the verse section, if Aerosmith wasn't as, like, fucked up on amphetamines as Coke and during the Toys for the Attic phase, 
that riff would almost be this because it almost like breathes a little bit more than that kind of like hyper intense kind of fucking toys in the yeah. mm. No, they're not. They're not like exactly like, but it's like there's yeah. some, some similarities to it. I like the acoustic guitar on the pre-chorus. It's kind of a weird fucking choice, but I like weird fucking choices, and it was taking a chance, so I gotta give him uh, credit for that. Ace's solo is fucking aces. He's got some really nice cascading notes, and uh, to kind of like vary things that were said about like Lightning Hopkins, they said that Lightning Hopkins blues were like plain vanilla blues, but they're the best tasting fucking vanilla you will ever taste. A lot of his stuff is, you know, pretty like standard blues rock fare, but some of this stuff is like the best fucking standard rock blues fare you can. I mean, I think his rage right up there with like Tony Iommi solos and stuff like that, you mm. know? And yeah, no, it's good shit. From 233 to like 238, you got like the Tom triplets going on in the background. And then all of a sudden at 238, the fucking snare just smacks you in the fucking face. I like went back and listened to that like about four or five times <laughs> over. I was like, yeah, that's fucking cool. It just kind of like wakes you back up and sends you right back to the song. So this song is without a doubt tits. I think it's also another one of my favorites off this album. This is a hard rocking tune with great riffs beefed up and doubled by the bass. And Ace delivers a blistering soul that smokes just like his guitar. The pre-chorus has acoustic guitar in it that may or may not be necessary, but it doesn't ruin anything. But in today's politically correct climate, the lyrics would probably get the band in trouble as they can come across a bit rapey, depending on your point of view. Paul wants to get it on, but he hates it when the girl says, wait. She says, stop, baby, go, go, go. I get that it's supposed to mean like she's playing hard to get, but there you go. I like the chorus, love, 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 and Paul's woes and owls, and I dig the pause towards the end of the track, and Peter's roll around the toms. I don't care, this is a rocking album closer, and I am all about it. Now that the track by track is concluded, we'll get into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is a hard luck album and got left behind with poor rags. Rockin' Mike, what are your final thoughts on Rock and Roll Over? This album is a four for me. It's a, it's a great album. I absolutely love it. When I originally went back and delved into the Kiss catalog as I was getting older, as I said earlier, I kind of jumped in at Crazy Nights. The production really bugged me on the earlier albums. As great as those songs are, you always went to a live to hear those songs. This one, you can feel comfortable going to the studio album. It was produced right. It has the right sound. Uh, like I said before, warts and all, it's a four. My only knock on it, no ace vocal and no ace written tune because I'm, I, me, I'm ace every day. So that was my only disappointment with it. But the songs themselves are great. Ray. On Louder Than Love by Soundgarden, Chris Cornell wrote a song called Big Dumb Sex. And the chorus was, yeah, I know what to do. I'm gonna fuck, 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 fuck you. you. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and that chorus pretty much sums up, I'd say, about 80% of this album. I mean, I like sex songs as much as the next guy, but this album is about as subtle as a bunch of horny Midwestern salesmen at a whorehouse in Vegas. <laughs> now, I know it's Kiss. You're not going to get some highbrow treatises on the work of Kierkegaard or Spinoza. And if that's what you want, fuck you, because that's not what Kiss is about. But come on, guys. <laughs> I wish Ace hadn't phoned in some of his shit on this album. I mean, he does have, like I said, moments of brilliance, but they're... Far few and fleeting on this album. Paul described Ace as being a mere shadow of himself at this point. Basically, he had all that potential, and it was just getting washed up in Valium, Coke, and booze. And I think the real hero of this album really is Eddie Kramer. I mean, the songs are fairly fucking solid. I'm going to give this album a 3.5. All right. 
When KISS' fourth studio album, Destroyer, was released in the early part of 1976, it sold decently at first, but started to fade in the charts fairly quickly, as there was the perception that some old-school fans didn't like that album's studio polish. Reacting quickly to that assumption, for their next album, the band tapped Eddie Kramer to produce its next record, which made Ace Fraley and Peter Criss happy, as Kramer was known for his work with Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix, as well as producing the band's seminal 1975 live breakthrough album, Alive. In an attempt to recapture that live vibe, Kiss recorded the album at Star Theater in Nanuit, New York, a 3,500-seat theater that had been shut down due to financial and managerial issues. The goal was to record a back-to-basics rock and roll album free from studio tricks and gimmicks, which would harken back to Kiss' early sound and win back the older members of the Kiss Army. Luckily, the band came into the sessions with some excellent material, and the songs on Rock and Roll Over show Kiss still in their prime and firing on all cylinders. Each member of the band brought his A-game, and even though Ace didn't have a writing credit on a Kiss album for the first time, his guitar work more than kind of made up for it. In a lot of ways, this is a hidden album. It almost flies under the radar a little bit as it's sandwiched between the better-known records Destroyer and Love Gun, and the band doesn't play many tracks off it. Even Paul Stanley in later years has said he was disappointed with the album's sound and production, as he thought it was a regression after Destroyer. But the Kiss diehards know how good this album is. I'd be willing to bet that if you asked a hardcore fan what his or her favorite Kiss albums are, this one makes it very high on the list, if not the top. It's right up there for me, too. And this record came into my life at a young, impressionable age, where just about anything this band did held me in rapt fascination. I give Rock and Roll Over a 5, and I go as far as to say that if you call yourself a Kiss fan, this is a mandatory album for your collection. And dig that album cover! Now we have to thank our own legendary co-pilot, Rockin' Mike Cordes, for returning to do what he does so well for the podcast. Thanks once again, man. No, thanks for having me. I Always. I fucking love it. I turned down Whitechapel tonight for the... Woo! I did. No kidding. Where man. were you playing? New Haven, Toad's Place. Oh, right on. Oh, yeah. shit, man. Are you going to be able to see him? No, no, no. I said, no, no, I'm already booked. <laughs> yeah, no, no, wow. no, I'm good. I, right. I love We've doing arrived. this with you wow. guys. I absolutely I love guess. it. Yes, that's something. <laughs> yeah. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Give us a shout and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us. And we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Albumatics, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ray. See ya. All right! The next track is Mr. Speed. Written by Paul Stanley and... <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Track is hard look. Fuck, I almost said rock. God damn it, I gotta get this out of now.